the narrative of this offense and the defense just continues each and every week. I have not seen anything like it myself in the history of college football, but here we are talking Iowa football with each one of you every week here at the voice of college football. And uh, please join us each and every Tuesday, make this an appointment, bring some folks with you again next week. Corey Brad is here, of course, to make it all work from the Hawkeye of the storm. Corey, how you doing? Doing good. This has been an active day on uh, the Twitter sphere. And uh, I, I assume we were going to talk about it, but you know, Mark, sometimes we, you and I have both been accused, especially me, because I'm, of course, the instigator in all this. Uh, I've been accused of being way too negative. And, you know, we, we talked during the offseason, Mark, from back in December to now. We, well, January now, if you want to count, I guess, the lead up to the bowl game. Uh, we were very critical throughout the offseason with the lack of moves that on the coaching staff that made that presumably would make this offense better, lack of activity in the transfer portal, lack of a plan at quarterback. And I, I did, you know, there were moments during this show and during my show, Mark, where I kind of got tired of saying the same things over and over again. But now I've kind of reflected back and I wish this wasn't the case, but we were right. And I know that's not the first time we've said that this season, but now we're seven games into the year, Mark, and our worst fears, I, I, I know you're not an Iowa fan, but our worst fears as people who are talking about Iowa was that they, you know, this would be the case. Iowa's offense would be really bad again. We never thought it could be worse, but it is. But I just, I look back and I, I, I'm less hard on the both of us and less hard on others who have been outspoken about this subject because I, I feel the same way I felt 10 months ago. And I, again, I wish I didn't. Now, I, I do want to move the needle here because we're talking about being negative. Let's be positive here for the first segment of this show, if we can. I, I really want to talk because we, we discuss the offense each week. We understand how bad it is. Can we talk about the, the defense for a second, Mark? Absolutely. You, you're and, an Ohio State guy. You got to watch this defense. And, and as we transition, Corey, I think you're picking up on this, and, and I'm would would be more understanding of this just because of the number of teams that I cover, and because I cover the entire sport. This narrative about the Iowa offense has become such a overriding narrative of this team that people that don't even talk Iowa football our understanding of it now, you know, our Miami show, there was a, there's just a offhanded comment. We were not talking about Iowa in any such way. There was just an offhanded comment about Miami's having a horrible season. And then something about the Iowa offense. Well, there, you know, we might as well have an Iowa offense, like the worst offense in the country. Uh, Steve Dace, we recorded our Michigan podcast, which is all Michigan. And if it's about the big 10, it's directly related to Michigan. But he just came out of nowhere and said, Mark, what do you make of this Iowa situation? <laughs> he said, I, I just uh, you're right. And it's it's unfortunate. It's unfair to everybody, all the players, the the coaches, the the special teams, people on, uh, you know, coaching and player wise on this team. I, I I was, you know, you're what you, you know this, how this goes, because deep down, I know you are an Ohio State fan, but. You, you get it when you watch a, f a football game. There are times where you you kind of forget to – 
you look at the stat sheet after the game and you just, it pops off at you and you're like, wow, I did not realize this or this. And that's exactly how I reacted during the postgame show on Saturday. I didn't even get a chance to look at the official postgame or official box score before going live. And as we're live, I'm looking at this and I, and I say to myself, holy cow. I mean, Iowa held this Ohio State offense to 66 yards rushing, 350 yards total. And they gave up 54 freaking points. Now, two reactions to that, Mark. A, it shows how efficient the Ohio State offense is because they they made the most, for the most part, minus the field goals that were forced by Iowa's defense. C.J. Stroud made some incredible throws, um, and his receivers converted on a number of these. Uh, I was really impressed by Julian Fleming. Never had seen him and uh, never had seen him in a football, real life football game until Saturday. Just hadn't watched much Buckeye football. I was of course impressed with Marvin Harrison Jr was disappointed we didn't get to see more of Jackson Smith and Jigba, and that was the fear I had if I'm a Buckeye fan heading into the game. Why are we even playing the kid right now, risking further injury? So that's a discussion for another day. But my point is Iowa's defense continuously got put in miserable positions. And, and Mark, you, you follow me on Twitter. You, you I rarely post pictures of myself, but I had no other tweet. Uh, I, I, there was no other way I could tweet. I couldn't – there was no words – I posted just a, a selfie, if you will, a picture of myself with my jaw down after that first play from scrimmage. I just was in complete shock. I just, <laughs> I, I don't know how. I don't know why these things surprise me anymore. But I'm sitting there, and the first play from scrimmage, <laughs> what was your reaction from the first play from scrimmage when Spencer rolls left and just throws it right to an Ohio State defender? I checked out your prediction preview prediction video. Now I didn't check it out from start to finish. Not that it wasn't excellent, but that's not how I usually consume content. But our score predictions were only off by one point. I had already produced mine. Neither one of us knew what we were predicting. You went 30 to nine. I went 31 10. I think we both had a, a similar approach to the way this thing was going to go. And it pretty much went that way. It just got out of hand because of the, because of what, is typically a deplorable Iowa offense, but doesn't give the ball away, right. at least punts it, started giving the ball away. And, and so, Corey Taylor doesn't normally yeah. have a bonehead decision like he did that was basically the equivalent of a seventh turnover. Yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the turnovers, there, there's absolutely no way you can win a football game um, against Ohio State ever by, by turning the ball over six times. But especially when you're you know, the worst offense in the country already might really minus like you just brought up kind of minus the turnover category, which Iowa turnover margin wise is pretty good. And that also speaks to the defense, but yeah, I was just in shock after that first play. Um, and it, it just got worse. You know, Gavin Williams fumbles, LaShawn Williams fumbles, uh, Petrus throws another pick, you know, they bring in Padilla by, by the way, at a terrible time, unfair to him. Um, uh, they bring him in. Now, it was the right, I mean, to make this clear, it was the right move in the moment. They had to make a change, right? But we've said that before, and they haven't. So they made the right move at the moment, but it's on them for not doing it sooner, giving him snaps when they were up 27 to 0 on Nevada. Shame on the coaching staff for not doing that. I'm just, shame on them. Um, so they should have done that. And. You know, you look at you look at the second half for Padilla. He fumbles the snap on the the first play from scrimmage. Which, by the way, there have been issues between Petrus and Logan Jones at center 
throughout the year as well. So that's not an issue exclusive to Alex Padilla. But some I had some people, and I appreciate everybody that listens to the show, but I, I did have to kind of defend Alex after the game because some people came on the show and said, well, he had no pressure on him. You're down 16. you got nothing to lose. Mark, like 10 days prior to that game, Brian Ferentz went out there and completely, in, in my book, uh, degraded Alex Padilla with his choice of language, whether it was intentional or not. Didn't give his quarterback any vote of confidence. He hasn't been given a vote of confidence throughout the season because he hasn't even been given a chance despite the abysmal play at quarterback for the last six games. So to sit here and, and act like he was playing with house money in the second half just because they were behind. He's at Ohio State. Uh, very well could be desperate to prove his worth because nobody seems to believe in him but the fans that, that don't get to watch him in practice. I think he was playing with a ton of pressure. So I, I don't blame him. You know, unfortunately, they lost the, the fumble. That was unfortunate. I wish he could have just covered it up and hopefully gotten that out of his system. Um, and then the interception was it was what it was. It was unfortunate. Great hands by the Ohio State defender thrown a little bit in front of Sam Laporta. And it was not as egregious. I, I hate to, you know, compare interceptions, but it was not nearly as egregious as the two Spencer yeah. Petrus interceptions. And Alex Padilla is my, my take. I'm not there every day in practice. Right now, the depth chart says Spencer Petrus or Alex Padilla. Ference won't tip his cap one way or the other. If, if he trots Spencer Petrus out, first game against Northwestern on Saturday. They're going to be booze raining down on Spencer Petrus, but it's they're going to be directed towards the coaches. That's unfortunate. I hope the coaches will make the decision to play Alex, regardless of how practice goes this week. And normally I wouldn't say that because obviously a big part of a coach's evaluating process should be how these guys are performing in practice. But this is a situation very unique, right? Very, very unique. And Alex has proven that he's no worse than Spencer in, in games. I've made the argument he was actually better last year. Uh, an Iowa reporter this morning or this afternoon speaking with Kirk made the point that the last two times they've inserted Alex Padilla have been in absolutely unfair moments. Second half against Michigan uh, in the Big Ten Championship game when you're already down double figures. Second half against Ohio State um, in the shoe when you're already down double figures. You can't imagine worse scenarios. I mean, because again, I don't believe that's house money at all. I think you're playing with tons of pressure in huge moments. So, no, I I, I think uh, Alex Padilla should be your starter on Saturday. And in answer to Dan Mull's question here is Super Chat. And I believe, barring some major change, that Alex deserves the rest of the season. You know, unless he's absolute... I, I, I mean, again, I don't know how you play much worse than Iowa has had at at quarterback through the first six games. So I think you just got to say, look, you're our guy. You are our guy now. And that means we may never see Spencer Petrus play another down at Iowa. That's possible. And very sad. If that happens, the career of Spencer Petrus is unfortunate. Hopefully it makes him a better person in the long run. Cause it's not all his fault. Most of it's not his fault. Hopefully it'll make him a better person. I think he's going to be a great businessman, et cetera. But I hope that Alex Padilla is given a fair shot because uh, I don't think he did anything in the second half that lost that opportunity when you compare it to what his counterpart did. All that makes total sense. And again, because of where Iowa sits in the Big Ten Western Division, they still have a mathematical chance of winning the division, but that's not going to happen. Uh, and that's not necessarily just a concession to the end of the season or a concession to next year or anything like that. Again, we're talking about an offense that's not 
an offense that's horrible. We'll just call it what it is. And the one position in which you can just switch that out, not that the other position should not be evaluated, of course. And if there are a, a better option of a combination along the offensive line or whatever the evaluation is at the other positions, but that is the one position where based on we've, what we've run down, of course, Spencer Petrus has a lot larger catalog of stats and resume to show us, but you ran through it and we've done it a number of times. You did it a few weeks ago. We did it during the off season. Alex Padilla's performance in the opportunities he has received has been similar, if not better in some aspects to Spencer Petrus. And if anything, he gives you, it, it's, it's a, it's fair to him to give him the opportunity. And it's also fair to the team to give somebody else the opportunity to see if it just works better and then on top of all that, more mobile quarterback who there may be two or three times during the course of a game, and it may make a big difference in a 17 to 14 game coming up against Purdue where being elusive and being able to scramble for a first down will make the difference. I, I have this. So so I've been wrong before. Let me do Obviously. Come on. Uh, no. I, <laughs> I was wrong predicting the Big Ten championship game last year, right? I was wrong there. Uh, now I've been right a lot about scores this year, but so have you. I mean, this has been a very predictable um, Iowa team because we, we we thought the defense was going to be really good, and we thought the defense the offense was going to be really bad, and that's exactly how each game has played out. Every single game, you want to argue the Nevada game, Nevada is terrible, and they still manage just twenty seven points. So you could argue the offense even underachieved in that game. But here's my prediction. If Iowa, if Iowa gives Alex the full vote of confidence and says, you're our guy moving forward, barring some unforeseen occurrence, I believe he'll play well. And I think the offense will be better. I'm not saying it's going to be very, I'm not saying it's going to be good. I'm not going to say it's going to be average because it won't be. They just, they have too many problems. Quarterback is not going to solve everything, but it will be better. And I think fans will find something positive to take away from. And, and I'll tell you something else. You want to play politics. If Kirk Ferentz wants to play politics, here's how you do it. You give him the full vote of confidence publicly. And you may say, well, that's unfair to Spencer Petras. He's been given the full vote of confidence for two and a half years and hasn't has not earned it. So, no, you, you, wanna, so you want to at least appease a portion of the segment, a faction of the fan base. You give Alex Padilla after this week a full vote. He didn't do it today. But moving forward, you give him the full vote of confidence. You say he's our guy moving forward. Fans will respect Brian more. They'll respect Kirk more. Not saying that there won't be – I'll still think, you know, unless this offense does a complete 180, which they will not, fans are still going to say Brian Ferentz needs to be relieved of his duties. But to me, I don't know what would be the harm at this. What is the downside, in the words of uh, – <laughs> in the opposite words of, of Brian Ferentz, what would be the downside of making this change at this point? You know there's not a big drop-off. And well, – uh, I'm going to give you – yeah, the – you can't get worse than 131 in the country. So, so the the offensive performance, you know, you could you could run the same play over and over and over, and you're going to get more offensive production. The only downside, and this is a very petty one, and I hope it's not the motivation. The downside is that they look bad. They look bad in the their original decision and choice of a quarterback. Yeah, exactly, and that's so. So there's where I say when you're playing politics, because unfortunately, I feel like that's what's what's occurred a lot over the past two and a half years. I brought this up before. haven't brought it up recently. I don't recall, and someone may tell me I'm wrong. I don't recall the last time that Kirk Ferentz has 
endorsed a quarterback that had, that's never played like he endorsed Spencer Petras in January of 2020. That was a very unique moment. That just never happens. Uh, I don't believe that even happened with Nate Stanley. And there was a lot of hype around Nate Stanley when, because remember he saw, he saw the field briefly in 2016 when CJ Beathard went, went down with an injury. But but Kirk Ferentz went out there and said, Spencer Peters is our guy. In January, before fall, uh, spring practice even occurred in 2020. So for anybody that doesn't want to think pride could have something to do with his their decision not to admit they were wrong, I I I uh, I don't I don't agree. I just think there's too much circumstantial evidence to support that line of reasoning. Corey, I want to make sure we're efficient with our time because there's a lot of things we want to get to, and uh, you certainly let me know of that before we came on here. So it is 5:50 Eastern time. We've got till 6:30. We do have a Northwestern guest. We're going to bring him on about 6.20 for the last five to 10 minutes of the show. Just a quick hitter on Northwestern. doesn't have to be elaborate, of course, because it's you know it's not about the opponent this week. All right, so let's get to Iowa. I guess we can move on to the defense. We have been dissecting the offense, like you said, off the top forever. And we were going to go the positive path, but you took us in the other direction, which is good. You got that out of the way. I don't know that I have anything to add that is not obvious to everyone on the defensive side if i can lead us off on the defensive side if we're going that way travion henderson and mayan williams are near great college running backs they have never had a day i can guarantee going back to, to peewee football they've never had an experience like they had on saturday mayan williams is blasting through Every defense they've played, 10 carries for 19 yards. Travion Henderson, who was the number one running back in the country coming out of high school and backed that up with 14 or 1,500 yards and I forget how many touchdowns, 18 or 19 last year. 11 carries for 38 yards, three and a half yards per carry. Neither one of them have had a day in college, and I'm sure before that, like they suffered against the Iowa defense. Again, I, I don't know how that's even possible, Mark. Um, given the, the, you know, they're they're out on the field more than you want them out on the field. Although time of possession was pretty even. Another aus- amazing stat that is a positive, Mark. Six turnovers, six turnovers, and yet you, you know you're basically even on time of possession. That ain't because the offense is moving the chains. That's because that defense continued to find a way to escape trouble against that Ohio State offense and. You know, we talk about those wide receivers, Harrison Jr., Fleming. I mean, they who's the third guy that, that I'm missing? That's uh, Ameka Abuka. Ameka Abuka. Yeah. Um, you know, best wide receiving core in the country, I'd venture to say that. Um, I, I don't understand how it's possible. And, and let's talk about this. We've also discussed the fact that Iowa typically doesn't improve during bye weeks, or at least it doesn't appear that they do. Last year, they get pummeled against Purdue. I believe. Am I correct in saying that was the, I think that was lead up to the bye week last year. They get pummeled at home to Purdue, go into a bye week. They come out of the bye week, go to Madison, get pummeled against the Badgers. No, not any improvement from my vantage point. Um, And, you know, this year, Ohio State gets a bye week. Iowa gets a bye week. We get the same thing with the offense. If anything, it looks worse because now they're turning the ball over. And yet, let's talk about improvement. Phil Parker. All right, this defense, the one, you know, I, I think they can still improve pass rush a little bit. I think they can still get home a little bit quicker 
on the quarterback, although they're deep. We saw Joe Evans do it early, which gave them a boost. What a play by Joe Evans. We can talk about that. But the fact of the matter is Iowa actually struggled to stop the run against Michigan, Blake Corum. They struggled to stop the run against uh, Chase Brown in Illinois. And what appears to me, what appears to the eyes is that they used this bye week, the defense did, Phil Parker did, to improve their rush defense. And boy, did they improve the rush defense to go against, again, maybe one of the, one of, I think decidedly one of the best run rush offenses in the country. And to hold them to 66 total yards on the ground is outstanding. And you brought up Mayan Williams, one point, was it not 1.9 per carry? I mean, uh, amazing. And Phil Parker, I tweeted out during the game, Phil Parker deserves $5 million a year because they have won so many games, and we knew this before, but now we're, we're, we're really understanding this. They've won so many games solely because of defense and special teams. And so LeVar Woods deserves a ton of that credit too, but Phil Parker is a warrior. And I, I, I'll say this. I made, the, I made the comment the other day on my show. Um, I used to really be an advocate for Bob Stoops being the next head coach, and I would still, believe me, I wouldn't complain, if Kirk Ferentz retires in the next few years and Bob Stoops is brought in, that would be great. But I'll tell you who they need to ask first. I think Phil Parker deserves consideration first. I mean, what more can the guy do to earn an opportunity to be a head coach and build a staff around him? Uh, to me, uh, it makes sense. Uh, I'm going to go into more detail of what I think Iowa should consider once Kirk Ferentz resigns or retires. Uh, I'll go into more detail in a future segment on the show, but uh Phil Parker is just so impressive, and I'll be honest, they didn't give as much up through the air. Everything Ohio State got through the air was earned. C.J. Stroud, I mean, some of his throws in that second half, there's a reason why he is the best quarterback in the Big Ten, one of the best in the country. He puts that ball on the money. His receivers catch it in stride. I mean, we were talking about Cooper DeGene or Riley Moss. Those guys actually played pretty well on Saturday. They they held up, and again, I think we both predicted it, that they would break at some point, but – with all the turnovers, it turned out to be more of egregious of a score. But yeah, the the throws and catches, there was nothing that was wide open. This guy's wide open. Nothing. No blown coverages. Nobody getting really beat badly. Those were like NFL throws and catches in tight windows over the top to Fleming, uh, which I know Ohio State fans are just happy to see that because Truth be known, he's been buried like five deep on the depth chart until they've had some injuries and at the NFL draft. And he was the number one receiver coming out of high school. And so uh, been waiting for him to explode. He's been nicked up. But, you know, some of the the, the throw when they had a they had a fourth and one at like the two yard line or it might have been a fourth and goal. And, and C.J. Stroud's like sprinting to his left and he throws it to the pylon. And it's just beautiful throw. Beautiful throw, beautiful catch. I mean, the perfect spot. If that put, ball is not put on the money, it's probably not corralled inbounds with the receiver's feet inbounds. I think it was Harrison, right? Yeah. His feet inbounds, and, and and again, pretty good coverage on the play. Those are the plays you just. Those are the plays you should be able to tip your your cap and say, okay, we're doing what we need to be doing. We're forcing you to make Heisman esque throws. And honestly, if Iowa's offense was at least decent in this game, they would have had a chance to win. I mean, if you take away all six turnovers, I know that's a conversation that's not fair to be had because it, the offense is so far away from that. 
the, my point is the defense played winning football on Saturday and the score would not tell you that, but that if you watch the game or even just look at the box score, you'll realize I, I made this comment. I've made it a couple of times. Now they're showing it with, with coach Patterson Sunday. And then the show on Saturday, Mark, I would venture to say, and I don't know how we'd track this, but I'd venture to say that any score, anytime an opponent scores 54 this year, I mean, we're talking about the power five FBS level in general. I guarantee you they had more total yards than 360 yards. I just can't imagine. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe there's a, you know other games with seven, eight turnovers where this happens. But I would venture to say that any score that high requires more than 360 total yards. And that's a testament to that defense. Well, it's funny you bring that up on the same day that Duke got eight turnovers. They scored 45, and they were in the 320 range. But they got another two turnovers, and they didn't score as many. They scored 45. Uh, yeah, I, at one once it got to like – once it got to 33 or 40, I tweeted out, I'm like, Ohio State's going to score 55 points in this game. And I'm telling you right now, I impressed, I'm impressed with Iowa's defense. And this is, this is the most, I don't know how I phrased it, but just something I'd never seen before that a defense could play this well. And because of the ineptitude of the offense, not only being an inept, inept this week, but if, again, adding the turnovers that a defense could play this well and Technically, of course, the defense didn't give it up, but 54 points. Well, what a stupid tweet from Fox Sports. They usually do a pretty Absolutely. good job with tweets. What a stupid tweet. I'm going to try to find that. And, and, and what, what made me upset about it is the tweet was the tweet in and of itself was fine. To bring up the fact that it was the highest number scored against Kirk Ferentz since he's been here, that's fine. I don't think Fox is the one that initially discovered that. I think Mike Haloss of the Gazette did. But then in all bold letters, Iowa defense points allowed this season. What yeah. a garbage tweet. Garbage. <laughs> I mean. They broadcast the game, too. Not that that should matter, but that, it's well, just that is irresponsible. It absolutely is. If, if you just want to lay the facts out there, the Ohio State team scored 54 points against the Iowa team. And then we all know that the context of that is all over the place that but at least that's factual if you just want to state that. But this, yes, Ohio State's offense scored against the Iowa defense. Right. No, that's not accurate. You know, if, if, they, if, if they had put Iowa scoring defense, that would have been accurate. Because scoring defense encompasses, unfortunately, more than your defensive unit. But to just say Iowa defense points allowed this season, 54 versus Ohio State, 59 for the first six games. They haven't allowed 59 for the first six games, Mark. Guess what? The the Iowa the Iowa as you not and I both know, the Iowa defense outscored its offense against South Dakota State. They outscored its offense against Illinois. Or I shouldn't say that. They didn't outscore them. The the I'm trying to think. They didn't score a touchdown against Illinois. Didn't score a touchdown against South Dakota State. Uh they scored one touchdown against Rutgers. Yes, here's the tweet. Stupid. So basically, to finish your point, they didn't do their research even on the rest of the no. season because no. Iowa's defense was not giving up those points. Iowa's defense didn't, even technically speaking, it gave up 47 to Ohio State, even if you take because Ohio State's defense scored a pick six touchdown. Te technically speaking, and again, we said in the first half, Iowa gave up seven. That's what they get. That's what the Iowa defense gave up in the first half. Seven. All right. Because wasn't it, was it 16 to seven at halftime? Was that the score? I think it was 16 half? 10. 
No, they had more than they had more than sixteen. They had twenty three. Wasn't it twenty three? Uh, well, it went sixteen ten, then it went nineteen, then it went twenty six ten on the pick six. Okay, so that was so at halftime it was twenty six ten, correct? Okay. So they gave a one touchdown drive and four field goals, correct? Am I am I put? I, I, I don't. I guess I could pull that pick up. But, six. Yeah. There was a seventy five yard touchdown drive, and then the rest were all the short field field goals that were literally field they goals were not drives. I believe Ohio state was in field goal range for every one of those field goal. Just, they started in field goal range. Were, yeah, were they not? Or maybe three yeah. of the four. I mean, it was something ridiculous like that. And I'm just thinking it's a shame that the defense is going to be credited with allowing three points on this drive and then three points on this drive, because what more can you do, but turn Ohio state over? I mean, you literally force what I consider to be a three and out. I don't think technically it's called a three and out because you're kicking a field goal and scoring points off it. But that's, and again, part of that was Tory Taylor's decision. That was not a good decision, but it's the Spencer Petras pick at the beginning. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think they had a, a strip sack. That was one of them. Uh, Ohio state's first half field goal drives, drives four plays, one yard. Four plays, four yards. Five <laughs> plays, 17 yards. Five plays, no, that's a punt. Eight plays, 24 yards. Three yards of play. Those are yeah. all the... So two of them, two of them, Iowa didn't even allow a first down. And then the, the uh, I'm assuming the other, uh, maybe one of them, they allowed a couple first downs and the other one, they maybe allowed one. Go mm, back and tra- trace yeah. that. But zero, they allowed less zero. than 30 on every single one of those drives. Yeah, there it is. Hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't really care. Fox Fox should be ashamed of itself that uh, whoever tweeted that out didn't do its due diligence. But the point is, um, we've been talking about this now for, what, the last 10, 15 minutes. The Iowa defense is absolutely incredible. Love Phil Parker. think he is maybe the best coordinator in the country. And I say maybe because I really can't say that. Mark, you and I have had debates on when we say things like this based on – when I say things like this based on not knowing – every coordinator across the country. I just find it hard to, to find, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a coordinator that's doing what he's doing with the situation that he's in. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's just incredible. And I brought this up the other day. I love Phil Parker's personality. I think he'd be a great head coach someday. Uh, whether or not he wants to be a head coach, you know, he's never I've had people say, well, he said he doesn't want to do that. He's never said that. Matter of fact, he's never said that he was asked about it at media day. I was at media day. He did not say that he was not interested in being a head coach. Okay, that possibility is still out there. Um, I can say this, regardless of how you feel about the 2020 offseason issues, right? You had players accusing uh, coaches of racism. You had players accusing another coach of just being a flat-out bully. All right? And that was to a white player. Regardless of how you feel about this situation, you know the, the, the one guy... If we're talking about the three major coaches. I'm talking about de- offensive coordinator, head coach, uh, defensive coordinator. The one guy that was never named ever that I could I ever found was Phil Parker. I mean, Kirk Ferentz, people love Kirk, and most players said, you know, this wasn't Kirk that treated me this way, but he had to know that it was going on. That's their that's what what they had to say. Brian Ferentz was named as well. Chris Doyle was named as well. LeVar Woods was not. I have no reason to think LeVar Woods is not a great person. And he also has, happens to be a great special teams coach. But Phil Parker, I talked to multiple, multiple uh, defensive backs following that 2020 
backlash. Uh, Amari Spivey being one of them, had him on my show before the show got transitioned to YouTube. Uh, ironically enough, I should probably throw that up on YouTube for people who haven't listened to that interview with Amari. Uh, Joe Von Johnson had him on as well. Just a couple, a couple of examples and, and heard from other guys as well who commented on Phil Parker. All of them said Phil Parker made them feel like uh, he, he was their second father. And, you know, football is more than just making a guy feel warm and cuddly. But as Don Patterson has said a number of times, if you're going to be a head coach, you have to A, or just be a coach in general, you have to A, be respected, and B, be liked. And I'm not sure, you know, I, I can't speak for the players on offense. I don't know what players, you know, do all the players respect and like Brian Ferentz? I can't say one way or the other because I haven't spoken with him on that subject specifically. But I can tell you that Phil Parker has been liked by everyone that I've ever heard from. He has been liked by them, respected by them. And then you combine that with the fact that his team, each unit, each secondary, each defensive unit as a whole has been really good year in and year out. I don't know. I just don't know what more you can ask for from a coordinator that maybe, maybe aspires to be a head coach someday. The other programs that field defenses in Iowa's class, uh, you would not make that comparison between their defensive coordinators and Phil Parker. Uh, Georgia comes to mind. Georgia had Dan Lanning as its defensive coordinator last year. Where is he? Well, he's in Oregon as the head coach. So obviously that's more about not that their new coordinator, Glenn Schumann's not doing a fine job, but it's more about the collection of just <laughs> ridiculous amounts of NFL talent. And uh, Brent Venables leaves Clemson. Uh, they continue to be a good defense, but not in Iowa's class this season. Um, so I, I cannot find a comparison for Phil Parker's work at Iowa. And I'm surprised. Are you surprised that he doesn't get brought up more for head coaching vacancies? Or do you think that's oh, more a result of the fact that he doesn't put himself out there? He doesn't get brought up in any conversations. Isn't that odd? It is strange. Uh, I never considered it because I kind of run through the same names everybody else does. I, I don't consider myself some kind of savant when it comes to predicting head coaching hires. Uh, but he's not brought up. And, and, and you know that anytime a coach gets hired or fired here, we'll go live and we'll have 30 and 40 names brought up for a significant job. And I've never heard Phil Parker's name brought up by anybody whether it's a fan or uh, a credible source ever. And maybe we can give some credit to Kirk Ferentz because he has retained. I mean, he's got to be given credit for having yeah. retained Phil Parker. And I think most people from the outside probably recognize that, Hey, he's, he's Kirk's defensive coordinator. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I just don't even hear fans talking about it. I do think there is something to be said for when coaches continue to be brought up for these vacancies, Mark, like perfect example. You know who I'm thinking of right now that whose name gets brought up for other jobs almost every year? On the Iowa staff? No, no, but just in general. Big Ten guy, Big Ten head coach. Gets brought up all the time, P.J. Fleck. Well, Fleck is one. Another guy is James Franklin. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence. I know you like P.J. Fleck. I'm not anti-P.J. Fleck, but let's examine both those guys' personalities. Do you think it's a coincidence that those guys are always brought up for these vacancies, or do you think maybe – you know, they're putting themselves out there for to be brought up. I, I think there's some substance to that. And I don't think, I think Phil Parker is the exact opposite of a guy like James Franklin. He's the exact opposite. 
So there's a reason why he's not being brought up. And I think you probably, that comes down to who he is as a head coach, yet an, or as a defensive coordinator, yet another reason why he appeals to me. If he ever want, is interested, appeals to me as the next head coach at Iowa if he wants it. Great stuff and great stuff uh, to be had there at uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm. So please, if you're not aware, uh, join Corey there at from the Hawkeye of the Storm. And uh, he posts content all week, post game and um, previews, predictions, all of it there. And basketball is coming as well. We had uh, last night uh, posted a, I know you're a big fan of women's college basketball, posted a enormous yep posted a a four-star recruit that iowa added to its class and uh, i'm gonna someday convert you to being a women's college basketball fan mark i have nothing against it um the last time i covered a women's college basketball game would have been the year 2000 and since then i don't know that i've seen a ball go through the bucket of a women's college basketball game because you and i did get into it you and i got into it briefly last march because you were ripping women's college basketball at, at one point Yes, you were ripping yeah. it. I can listen. I'll go dig up those those tweets. Ripping it. They'll tell, tell you this. You, well, yeah, you made a sh- you took a shot about who's watching women's college basketball. Oh. Let me tell you yeah. something. Sure. Carver was sold out. All right, for its final regular season game, it was sold out for the NCAA tournament. Sold out. We're talking sixteen thousand. Don't tell me there's not many. There's, there, I give you this. I don't doubt the fact that you used to work in the TV industry and you understand these things. Viewership for women's college basketball obviously is exponentially less than college football, college bat, men's college basketball. I get that. But there is quite a following for Iowa women's college basketball. There's not many arenas in the country that sell out games for the women. There just isn't. Oh, believe me, I lived in Connecticut for 20 years, so I, I know when there's a rabid fan base for college. When I first moved to Connecticut, people would bring up the the women's basketball game, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. I never, although I did cover it in the SEC, and the women's game is, they, they have really good teams, and it might be the best conference for women's college basketball, but nobody cared. All right. How do we get off on women's college basketball? Oh, we're highlighting what Corey's got involved there, what he's got, got more, for you. More football content coming, Mark. I've got a live show, Hawkeye Hangout, every week, uh, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. And then also, coming up in the in the next few days, this is the first time I'll mention this on the air, we've got Coach uh, Iowa men's basketball head coach Fran McCaffrey coming on the show here in the lead-up to the start of their season. So we'll we'll release that show here in the next few days or so so plenty of content and then of course iowa post game with coach gary close following the men's games which again start in just days i would love anyone who wants to talk college football tonight to know that uh, i will be on the main channel at 8 30 eastern time we will headline with our top 25 that actually makes sense if you are unaware of what that is you know what join me at 8 30 eastern time and you will find out uh also i've been remiss uh to let you know, everyone, even though the banner's been posted most of the show, the Iowa show here at the Voice of College Football brought to you by Gene Arthur Associates. And there's a ticket giveaway courtesy Gene Arthur Associates. Nebraska, Iowa, final game of the season. Still a spectacle. It's still the final game, regardless of what the records are at that point. It's a rivalry on Thanksgiving weekend. So two tickets to the Nebraska-Iowa game can be had by going to Gene Arthur Associates on Facebook and Instagram. Please um, like, share, follow. 
on Instagram and Facebook. I will drop the link in the live chat, Gene Arthur Associates, and you will be automatically entered into a drawing for Iowa Nebraska tickets. How about that? And let's mention this, Mark, that uh, there's a good I shouldn't say a good chance. There's a chance that that game is between two teams fighting for bowl eligibility. So there very well could be some. I mean, I know I, the way Kirk Ferentz and Phil Parker say what you want about Kirk. His guys will be ready. I don't see people checking out in in droves. So his guys will be ready. And uh, it was brought up today during Kirk's press conference, in which, by the way, he did not name a starter uh, at quarterback for Sunday. He did say that Terry Roberts is going to be out. Keegan Johnson is still myster- mysteriously out. Um, and Jennings Dunker along that offensive line is out. But he said that, uh, you know, he brought up the point that, hey, you know, you go to a bowl game, you do get some critical time practicing with your guys and so we're talking about development um fans that don't want to see iowa to a bowl game i understand that because they believe that will maybe assist in igniting change but getting to a bowl game does help development should help development so believe me if they're five and six heading into that last game what's nebraska's record right now mark nebraska is they're two and three in the conference they must be what three and four same record. Okay, so three, so three and four. Yeah. So there you go. Um, both teams conceivably are, are fighting for a for a bowl game. And who does Nebraska have left on their schedule besides Iowa? Yeah, three and four for Nebraska. They've got Illinois Saturday. Okay. They have yet to play Minnesota. They still have Iowa. Of course, is three. Wisconsin makes. For one other game would be Michigan. It's going to be pretty hard for them to get to bowl eligibility. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, you never know. Um, yeah. But it's going to be hard for them to, they, they've blown, you know, the, the fact that they're three and four, during, you know, through the, the weakest part of their schedule is a concern. Iowa's three and four through its weakest part of its schedule. Minus, I shouldn't say that. They're three, or three and three through the weakest part of the schedule. I know Michigan was a, was a tough game, but. Heading into the season, we marked Ohio State this 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 final this final six games as being the gauntlet: Ohio State, Minnesota, Purdue, Wisconsin. Um, I think we thought the Northwestern would be better. Northwestern's played almost everybody close. That's another point from Kirk's press conference today. They have besides one. Who did they get blown out to? They got blown out by somebody. Uh, I think they've gotten blown out across the board, haven't they? They they've no. played close. Northwestern. Yeah, no, they haven't gotten blown. Yeah, they beat Nebraska, of course. Uh, this past weekend, they played Maryland really close. It was a tie game with three minutes left. Yep. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you right now. They, I, got... I guess they played Penn State close. They they Penn State 17, gave up five turnovers to none <laughs> and beat them seventeen to seven. That was oh. a rainstorm. Okay. Wisconsin beat them forty-two to seven. They lost to Southern Illinois by seven. Lost to Duke by eight beat Nebraska by three, lost to Miami, Ohio by three. I get it. I'm not saying the competition. Ohio and Southern Illinois, that's just inconceivable that a Big Ten team could lose these kind of games every, almost every year. I Where's love our Northwestern guy, It's pathetic. Where's our Northwestern guy? Didn't we, aren't we, do we still have the Northwestern guy coming yeah, up? Yeah, we're going to get him in here. Sure. Okay. He, yeah. He's dreading to talk about Wildcat football. Um, but, no, I, I just uh, – I, I that's, that's Kirk's – uh, you know he's going to make that move to bring up Northwestern playing teams close, even if these are games that they should have been blown out, you know, blowouts. I mean, really, if you look at the schedule, they should have beaten Duke at home. 
They beat Nebraska. Should have beaten Southern Illinois. That's 3-0. Should have beaten Miami of Ohio. That's 4-0. You lose to Penn State, you're 4-1. You lose to, to Wisconsin, you're 4-2. I mean, I think most people probably would have picked them to beat Maryland heading into the year. They should be at least 4-3, and three, if not 5-2 and two right now. Um, yes, Northwestern should be. If you just look at – well, look at the schedule, Mark. They played – they play the cake schedule. Oh, they should be. I, okay, you're talking about who they should beat. I thought you were saying basically they should have won those games. No, like they, no, no. okay. No, heading into the season, I think we would have predicted them to be at least four and three at this point, even assuming that they were just marginally better than last year. But it seems like they're worse. And am I right in saying that they they pulled Helsinki or Helinski, whatever Helsinki. his name is? Yeah, uh, I don't know that they pulled him. I know that uh, he didn't start. They they had a first-time starter, Brendan Sullivan, and I don't know if that was due to injury or otherwise. Okay, so uh, anyways, my point is uh, Iowa struggled with Northwestern, and you never know, homecoming, and i tell you, Iowa loses this game on Saturday, Mark. Can you imagine? And I'm not smiling because I want that to happen, but can you imagine? You imagine, listen, we've had some exceptional numbers in the postgame show. We'll break the record. I think we'll break those records if they lose on Saturday because there's no turning back if that happens. Yikes. I can't imagine. Well, one more time before we bring on our guest, Iowa-Nebraska football giveaway courtesy Gene Arthur Associates right here at the Voice of College Football. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. I led left the uh, link in the chat. I will do it again. All you have to do is go to Gene Arthur Associates on Facebook and Instagram, follow, like, and share. You'll be automatically registered for Iowa-Nebraska football ticket giveaway. We got Bradley Locker on the line from SB Nation's Inside and You. Bradley, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, guys. Good to see you guys again. I know we uh, connected over the summer, and it's been a very eventful season for both of these teams. A lot of talk about for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Bradley, what happened to the roller coaster? It was supposed to be up this year. Well, I think on the outside, people might have thought it was supposed to be up, but I think most people within who, who cover the program and who religiously follow the program kind of suspected it was going to be a season like this for Northwestern. Maybe there would be a little bit of marginal improvement. And you could argue that maybe there has been, I believe, four of Northwestern's are or four or five of the losses of the six that they have are by one score. So it's not really as if Northwestern is getting blown out, only lost by 10 to Penn State, um, only lost by seven to Maryland this past weekend. But it just feels like Northwestern cannot put it together and actually win a football game. It has uh, zero wins in the last calendar year on American soil, if you can believe that. So there is a legitimate argument to be made. This is uh, really one of the worst teams over the last 24 games in all of America, which um, there was very eventful presser yesterday with Pat Fitzgerald fielding questions about the state of the team. Does he believe in the players and the staff that he has and kind of just dealing with, with the fans response, because as you can imagine, a lot of fans are really starting to grow pretty restless and, and feel like changes need to be made. Um, and I think a lot of media members would probably tell you the same thing, but Fitzgerald on the surface is, is acting like the team will turn it around um, that he wants to get the roster older because a lot of inexperienced players are playing right now, but uh, it just really feels like there's not a lot of hope in sight for this team unless some changes are made. The uh, team will turn around. He understands the the season ends here in about five weeks. 
Well, I, I think he, I, I would, I would think he does understand that, but I think in his eyes, I asked him uh, after the buy what his expectation was for the rest of the season. He said to go one and zero every week, and keep in mind Northwestern had played the easy part of its schedule and went one and five. Also has to play uh, Ohio State, Purdue, Maryland, all these teams in the second half of the season. Illinois, don't forget as well. And Fitzgerald still wants to win games, still acts like it's possible. So for Northwestern, it's, it's kind of a matter of figuring things out. And I would say building some momentum in the second half of 2022. And we can talk about the quarterback change, which I think will, will at least try to spearhead some of that. But uh, Fitzgerald's acting like the season is not totally over yet. Well, Bradley, what a Kirk Ferentz response. Oh, we got to go one and oh each week. I mean, look, I get it. I understand. It's Kirk Ferentz said that today as well. He said we can't. He, I literally, he literally said today, and I'm not going to quote him here, but paraphrase it if I if I may. He literally said today, you can't go five and oh without going one and oh. PJ Flex says it every week. So I, I mean, I get it. He you can't win five games without winning one. So, but I'm just telling you this right now, Bradley. And, and, well, actually, before I get to that, how much will it take for Pat to be on the, the hot seat? Because, it, you know, Kirk's in a weird situation. Even though the offense was bad last year, they won 10 games. That's why I don't think he's anywhere close to the hot seat himself. The offensive coordinator should be. But as it relates to um, Kirk, they did win 10 games last year. Northwestern can't say that. They, Pat can't say, well, I don't know if you're aware, but we won 10 games last year. He can't make that comment to uh, the media. So how clo- how much would it take? for his uh, welcome to be completely worn out with Wildcat fans. It feels like every single other big time co- podcast or show I've been on has asked me this. And for valid reason, because if you look at the last three to four years for Northwestern football, it has been absolutely horrible. There's no two ways about it. If you take out 2020, 2019, they go three and nine, just an absolutely pitiful year. 2021, they go three and nine. Uh, and two of the three wins are non-conference opponents. Then this year, they're very much looking at either one and 11, two and 10, any, any of those but it's, it's really three of the last four years have just been true dumpster fires. Teams that are really not not really watchable. They're, I mean, maybe this year's team, again, is, is a little more exciting. They, they keep you compelled for longer, but you still know what the end result is going to be, which is going to be a loss and very likely in, in pretty uh, crushing fashion, I would say. And that's been the case. It was the case Saturday. Northwestern was up 17-7 to in College Park. Yes, Maryland did not have Talia Tungabailoa, uh, but the Terrapins are still a pretty solid foundational team on both sides of the ball good head coach and Mike Loxley. Northwestern then proceeds to give up a 17 unanswered to Maryland. The Cats tie the game. Uh, really nice drive by Sullivan in the offense. Then all of a sudden the defense just collapses and gives up a, a touchdown, 75-yard touchdown, and that was the game. Um, so I, I, I really don't think Fitzgerald's seat is too warm. I know he said he has full belief in his coordinators, but um, as some of our readers are pointing out, he did say that kind of at the end of, of 2019 when when infamous offensive coordinator Mick McCall was let go of um, and Northwestern's offense finally moved to Mike Bajakian. So I think it's, it's much more probable that some of the coordinators would change before Fitzgerald goes anywhere. Um, and I think a lot of the conversations about the team have been, too, that it's not necessarily a, a job for everybody. And Fitzgerald really embraces that, that he has certainly made Northwestern. He called it really the best place Northwestern has ever been as a program. And he, he literally said Northwestern just has had six bad days this year, but they're, they're, he, he feels like they're still a good team. Um, so you could call it ignoring reality um, if you want to, but I just, I don't, I have a very hard time imagining that athletic director, Derek Ragg would even consider removing Fitzgerald even after this year. Now, if this happens next year, the year after, then you start getting into those conversations. But I feel like even now it's still a little too early. 
four seasons. This year or the next year or the year after Bradley? Come on now. Four seasons? It's going to take four pitiful seasons to even put him on the hot seat? I mean, just I think it's it's a number of reasons. Number one, as I said, he he really is Northwestern football. He is the program's no Northwestern without Pat Fitzgerald. Look, going back to his playing days, going back to what he's done to build off this program, uh, earn those endowments and investments from the Ryan family and from other donors to create Ryan Fieldhouse, to create a new Ryan Field. Um, and he is really tethered to the program because of his contract and because of what he's done to lead the Wildcats to success 2018, um, 2020 even though it was a COVID short year, we're still highly impressive. And then all, all those are really big factors. And at least Fitzgerald has something you can point to. Ferentz can turn to 2021 and say, well, we made the Big Ten tournament or Big Ten title game. Fitzgerald can say the same thing about not too long ago. Um, and I think that's what he's trying to imbue in Wildcat fans that he said he gets messages all the time from people that within, within the program that have ties to the program that he feels that they feel very confident in him and the team had turned things around. Um, but also, I just think it's that because Fitzgerald has remained extraordinarily loyal to Northwestern, to Evanston, he has consistently received job interests and offers from the NFL, from a lot of people thought he was going to consider the Bears opening, um, that maybe it was the only stop he would leave Northwestern for was was going right down to Soldier Field from Evanston. He did not do that when he signed that long-term extension a few years ago. And I think just because of that, the the university recognizes what an, uh, really an icon he is in the world of not just Northwestern football, but Northwestern overall and what it wants to represent and what it does actually represent. So I think it's, it's not exactly the same as Ferentz at Iowa where uh, yes, Ferentz is the program at Iowa for sure. But if, if the Hawkeyes were to hire somebody new, it's loyalty is a factor there too, but it's not exactly the same because of the academic standards, because of the, the niche role that Northwestern plays, I would say. Mark, uh, Paul Chris just rolled over in his figurative football grade. <laughs> Absolutely, he did. Um, I, and I can understand Pat Fitzgerald is a unique case. He he is the embodiment of what Scott Frost could have been at Nebraska. So he, Fitzgerald, obviously the favorite son, much like Scott Frost, but he lifted the program. Actually, I think it gets undersold that Randy Walker had the program in a good place before Fitzgerald took over and Randy Walker actually tied for a big 10 championship in the year 2000 and Gary Barnett did great things, obviously with a Rose bowl and a citrus bowl in the mid nineties. So it's been achieved now Fitzgerald's been able to sustain it longer uh, than anyone else in regards to competitive football, going to bowl games almost annually, but now they're in this swoon and I watched these big 10 coaches news conferences on Monday and Fitzgerald, I can't question his competitiveness. Shoot, the guy was one of the best linebackers in the country, so I'm not going to question it. But the way he talks about his team and the and the effort and what they're building, it just seems like he's just completely oblivious to, and I know that he's not, but he he very much takes a positive light to the situation to the point where a couple of weeks ago he was asked by somebody, well, doesn't this bother you or – you don't it, the, I'm not seeing the sense of urgency. I don't know how the question was phrased, but he basically said that doesn't do us any good. It doesn't do us any good for me to fume and vent and and rant and rave here to let you know how upset I am about losing. He said that doesn't that's not productive. 
Yeah, that is the mentality he carries through, and he maintained that on Monday, saying that he feels like negativity doesn't do any good, and that's the reason why he doesn't really play into what the fans have to say for the most part, that he respects the fans and understands and even apologize for the way the team has played this year, but he does not want to associate himself with negativity, thinking that if the team is going to be good, it's going to be because they're maintaining a positive mentality, and as you said, how far does that really go? I I would be very skeptical of that. I think it's really, can you execute? Do you have a talented team or not? So I, I do applaud Fitzgerald for at least um, remaining pretty upbeat with, with the media and not really lashing out on anybody too much because it's not an easy position to be in. Anything else, Corey? No, i just say that uh, Northwestern has proven they can run the football. I know uh, Wisconsin uh, held Evan Hull up. When you get down by that much, you know, he kind of abandoned the run. I don't think he had 10 carries in that game. Uh, so Iowa, uh, we'll see. They'll be they'll have their a uh, lot of good running backs in this league. Obviously, we'll have that run defense tested again. Um, but boy, Bradley, no offense to Northwestern, this is a, a game where I think I was playing with a lot more pressure than Northwestern. Frankly, regardless of the situation with Pat Fitzgerald, you just illustrated it. I think there's less pressure on Fitzgerald in general, even than is maybe on Kirk Ferentz because of the situation with his son Brian. So if if Pat Fitzgerald can come into Iowa City and win. Uh, boy, he, that would be such a Northwestern Pat Fitzgerald thing to do to Kirk Ferentz in Iowa. And by the way, Mark, Northwestern has won their last three games at Iowa City. Okay. Well, Evan Hull's coming off 119 yards. And as Bradley outlined, Brendan Sullivan going off a first start on the road at College Park against a good Maryland team. That was probably a good experience for him to now even build upon that success that he had uh, 16 out of 24 through the air, a decent game through two picks, but a touchdown pass, and they're in it against Maryland with three minutes left. That's a good performance uh, on the road in the Big Ten against uh, you know a top five to six team in the Big Ten, and then they come uh, – good Iowa city. So yeah, this Northwestern team, even though the record's a joke, the performances have been in range for the most part um, that uh, yeah, playing an Iowa offense that has been pathetic. We'll throw, we'll go, we'll say that term uh, this time around. Yeah, it could be a, it could be a rock fight. That's for sure. Yeah. Bradley, no doubt about that. Yeah. Go right ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it's going to be a highly intriguing game. Um, not sure it's going to be great viewing football, but if you like low scoring games, probably going to be the right one for you. And we say all this and it'll end up like 45 42 with someone winning, but that's how football is. No, I think I think we're going to have a, a story there. We're going to have a big scoop if it's 45 42 on this one. I believe but the I line. get your point, Bradley. There's a lot of yes, unexpected Mark. in college football, but when it comes to this Iowa offense, I think we've pretty much gotten every week what we expected. Mark, you you uh, you've heard me say this, but remember the the Rutgers line. Have you looked at the the line for this? Rutgers and who? No, no, no. I mean, we we talked about the Iowa Rutgers line being historically okay. low. What yeah. have you looked at the line for this oh, game on Saturday? Thirty-two. Very close. What is it, uh, Bradley? Well, I haven't I haven't checked recently, but when I heard when it first came out, I believe it was thirty-one point five. <laughs> Mark reacts that way every time. Uh, let's see. Uh, Iowa favored by 11. And uh, yes. Uh, well, no, hold on a second. What am I looking at here? This is not ESPN uses pick center. I don't even know what that is. They've got the over under at 37 and a half. So that's not. Oh, 37. 
anywhere close. <laughs> no, I saw the same line you saw. Okay, it's gonna be like, so it's going to be 21-10 is the Vegas selection for the game. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's not – I know that, that this is all – you know, these numbers are produced by, um, you know, people who are producing them for, for betting purposes. But, I mean, like look at the Illinois game. Iowa won that game – or Iowa lost that game 9-6. to six. Um, the South Dakota State game was seven to three. So anybody who thinks, "Wow, that's a low line," based on what? <laughs> I would say ten to seven. Yeah, it's just over and over and over and over. Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, you can catch uh, Bradley's work at uh, SB Nation. There it is, inside NU on SB Nation. Get yourself set for Northwestern and Iowa. Bradley, we appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Always always a pleasure to be with you and talk about these two pro- programs, which are still somehow maybe alive in the Big Ten West. We'll see after this weekend, but it's going to be a, a very, very uh, amusing game, to say the least. Thanks, Bradley. Thanks, guys. All right. There you have it. All right, folks, we appreciate you being here. Another edition of Hawkeyes Live, a 65th version Please make it on back next Tuesday at 4.30 Central. Bring a friend or two or 50. Get on over to Corey's channel from the Hawkeye of the Storm. And again, don't forget the Iowa-Nebraska football ticket giveaway courtesy Gene Arthur Associates. Get on over to Gene Arthur Associates, Facebook and Instagram. Like, follow, and share, and you're automatically entered. All right, Corey, enjoy your week, and uh, we will talk soon. Well, uh, I'll have to make it into a, one of your live shows. I haven't done that recently. I've been in a bit of a deep football depression. So uh, we'll we'll make it over there and enjoy another beautiful week of uh, college football because, as you know, we're over halfway through. <laughs>